Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Time After Time, the TV review show for fans who never read the books, with me, fantasy author Sean Paul Stevens, and joining us from Mount Doom in County Cork in Ireland, is high fantasy devotee and book club queen, Ray. Hello, Ray. Hello, everybody. It is Mount Doom, I'm sure it must be. Yeah, I'm sure it was near a volcano at some point. And joining us from Savannah in Georgia, in the US of A, is nurse and emperor of board games, Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Hello. I feel like I need to play more board games now. And lastly, but not leastly, joining us from Bournemouth in the UK is geek extraordinaire and fantasy El Chapo, Mark. Hello, Mark. (laughs) Hello, Sean. Hello, everybody. So today we are discussing episode eight of The Wheel of Time, the last in the season. This one is entitled The Eye of the World. 3,000 years ago, the Tamerlan seat warns Luz Theron Telamon of the dangers of his plan to imprison the Dark One. In Faldara, Nine Eve tells Lan how to track Moraine. Thousands of Trollocs attack Faldara. In the Blight, Moraine gives Rand a Sangreal, an ancient object to enhance his power to defeat the Dark One. At the eye, Rand sees a vision of him and Igwen starting a family, which, the Dark One tells him, can come to fruition, tempting to the shadow. The Dark One cuts Moraine's connection to the One Power. As the Faldara army falls, five women, including Nynaeve and Igwen, channel against the attack and destroy the Trollocs. All but Igwen burn out from excessive channeling, who is saved by Nynaeve's sacrifice. Gwen then heals Nynaeve. Perrin uncovers the Horn of Valer, which can summon history's greatest warriors. Padan Fain steals it, revealing he is a dark friend who visited the two rivers to find the five Taveran. Rand chooses the real Igwen, hitting the Dark One with the Sangreal and fracturing the unbreakable seal he stood upon. Fearing madness, he goes into hiding. Lan finds Moraine, who tells him that this was not the last battle. In the west, great exotic ships arrive, whose channelers generate powerful waves. And that was episode eight. So let's start with reactions. I'll go first. Overall, I liked the episode. I thought it tied up the plot lines relatively well. It had all the elements that were kind of foreshadowed and that we needed to be in there, but it was a bit underwhelming. Saying that did enough for me to come back for season two. Let's go to uh, Matthew. What did you think of episode eight? So, because we had a little bit more time in our production um, schedule with this, I, I watched it twice. And it, I mean, maybe to the show's detriment, because uh, I watched it first, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, ah, that, that's pleasant enough. And then I watched it again. And I'm like, I, certain moments just went from, from okay to kind of comical. I don't know how in depth it would go for like this initial thing, but I just, there was a few things I liked and it was, it was underwhelming enough that I'd be like, yeah, I'm done now. I don't need to see the next season. Okay. Well, thanks for your service. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, go on, Ray. Tell us how you got on with episode eight. So I um, came to the conclusion after I finished it that we just have to stop looking at the books. It really isn't something now that uh, it's 
I'm sure there's like a, 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 a movie production terminology for based on or an adaptation of. So I really do think that we're just looking at something that's within the world that Robert Jordan created. I spent, as you guys noticed in Discord, I spent most of the episode just being confused and not understanding what was happening. I got, I think, three balcony bingos in the in the episode. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> I um, I don't know. Overall, I found it a bit wet as an episode went. It didn't feel like a good conclusion for the season. Um, the only reason why I'd go in for season two is because I want to see the Sean Chen, which is the boats that we see at the end. Okay, Mark, save us with your relentless optimism. How did you feel episode eight went? I was, I was, right, so episode eight, season finale. It's got building up to this epic clash between good and evil. You know, they've got all the things there, all the ingredients for this episode to be absolutely outstanding they've got a fantastic castle they've got a wall in tarwin's gap that they get you know it looks like you know to defend they've got they're splitting it up they've got um moraine and ran going off on there to throw the ring into the into the fires on their own as it were you've got you've got the people outside the castle you've got people inside the castle they can do a really good you know switching between scene to scene actiony even the little details i was just so frustrated so the final battle what did people think of this then the um, last showdown if the guys who were in the 300 had that wall to defend the film would have been completely different. They'd have just sat there and gone, ah, pure with, you know, they're there. They've got their crossbows. This is just something that really wound me up. So I'm going to say this. They've got their crossbows. Good start. You know, they're running at you. You're shooting with crossbows. Crossbows, as we all know, are ranged weapons. As soon as the Trollocs do their um, zombie thing, climbing over each other, they stick in with the crossbows. Yeah, because that's sensible. And they die. Why aren't you sticking pokey objects through those arrow slits at the, the Trollocs who are right there beside you. And then, and then we get this huge army. <laughs> We've got a huge army of Trollocs, an army of Trollocs. Great. <clears throat> and we've got one, maybe Aes Sedai. I'm not sure if she's a fully qualified Aes Sedai or, or not, because she's gone to live in, in Faldarar. And then we, with a few friends she's going to call on to help to face this big army now when the army came to protect logan ablar there's about 20 people six seven or eight Aes Sedai, and they struggle oh, i don't get it it makes no sense none of it they're there setting up all these wonderful siege weapons outside of the castle we don't see them in action it did strike me and I know we've been continually comparing to Game of Thrones, which we, which we shouldn't do. But you remember that? Um, I'm not. I don't remember which season it was, but it's like that battle, and they're getting ready for the battle in the dark. And it was like 20 minutes of kind of standing in the dark, building up the tension to this battle. There's no building up the the stakes or the tension or. So I don't know the name of the woman who took charge of the defence behind the wall. I can't remember her name. But she was giving these motivational speeches that made me just want to poke my eardrums out. I have to agree with you with that 
if you compare the Battle of Tarman's Gap with Helm's Deep, there's a lot of stuff that they bring into Helm's, that scene in Helm's Deep in, in the films that really sets the stage, it, you know, the panic, the, 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 sh the shock and awe at the army ready to charge, you, you know, you get a very, very clear feeling of the despair of being in Helm's Deep. You don't get that retirement scape. You have no feeling of what this means, you know, how um, drastic and uh, dire this moment is. You just don't get it. You just kind of get the, oh, wait, the Trollocs are there, as if, you know, it's just off we go, off to the next thing. I There was no peril. I felt nothing. I didn't feel invested in the death of Yuan as she got overwhelmed by the power. I didn't feel uh, particularly sad when, um, I've forgotten his name, but when sort of the Lord of Faldara died or got, you know, just shot. There was nothing there to tell me that um, I was seeing a big transition, the next step. I'll say that I did like, the one thing I really did like from the, from, from the show is that a lot of times with magic systems, people get too powerful and they get to be like, godlike and there doesn't get to be a problem they don't solve i do like that they took time to show what happened to i don't remember her name but the very nice asian woman with the cool looking armor and how she got overwhelmed and killed people in the process like that's not something you see typically in a lot of fantasy worlds because they tend to get into power tripping and to me that was the most that was the, 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 the like the most unique good thing about that episode to find something that I liked, that I, I really did like that moment. I, I thought it played well. What did you think of the way that the women destroyed the Trollocs? Thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening. I mean, I don't want to nerd out here and be like, well, why didn't they just use the women at first and put them on top of the wall and have them do that? Like, I mean, I, that would kind of be a first thought. But I, I liked, like I said, that was that scene right there. Is the, I, I feel like that scene worked. It was a bit Deus Ex Machina, wasn't it? Let's just sort the whole plot out just with a bang. Everything suddenly destroyed. It seemed like it robbed us of, of a nice battle, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then they undercut it, though. Like, had Nynaeve died or Egwene died, it would have had a powerful kind of lasting moment. But to fake out the death and literally bring them back to life in the next scene, I hate when people do that because it undercuts the power of death in your entire series. It's like, oh, well, people can just come back to life now. Like, did Loyal die? Yeah, he was just stabbed in the in, in the stomach. I mean, I'm, I'm a former traumater, so he could survive that. I, I mean, it, once you start pulling back deaths, they all matter less. Well, I think the thing that I had the biggest problem with with Nynaeve's death is that coming from the book, um, one of those uh, pearls of wisdom that the Aes Sedai just randomly uh, put out there is that you can't heal death. And because uh, it's, it's almost like in reality, there is a point of, from, of death that you can't come back from because of the amount of damage done to the body as a result of being dead, it can't be fixed, like brain damage from oxygen, oxygen deprivation. So I'm um, seeing Nynaeve, first of all, die and being like, what are they doing? And then secondly, seeing her not be dead, being healed, and I'm still there going, what is going on here? 
for me, it came back down to a lack of consequences and threat. And again, the magic just seems to be something you can deploy whenever you feel like it without much thought, mm. do whatever you like with it without any kind of cost. Interesting you mentioned consequence because, um, as I said before we started, I finally got around to starting to watch The Witcher. And there's a scene where they're, they're, they're learning the magic and they ask to levitate a stone. And the first girl does it and her hand all chars and, and goes back. And then they said, no, you need to channel that, the opposite into the flower thing. And there's none of that balance. And I think power needs balance. Let's talk about Star Trek comes to the Wheel of Time, the futuristic society set 3,000 years ago. Another balcony. Balcony one. Um, yeah. <laughs> who wants to go? Matthew. I I liked the fact uh, there's a lot that I, I did. Again, there's, there's a lot of when they do the world building that's not so I'm going to narrate the world to you. I liked that the two characters were speaking in a different language and that that suggested that the culture and everything was shifting as they were going through the, the, the turns of the wheel. It also kind of unlocked a problem for me in that now that I really want this to have a, uh, a black mirror mirror like level statement in it at some point like i really am hoping at some point the series delivers this is why the wheel is broken this is why time is moving this way and this is what it costs to fix or we can't fix it because of the human condition i want a level if they're going to go out of the world that they live in i would i want a profound statement as to why this is happening and from what i know of robert jordan he was very much into the tropes and didn't really care to explain why and i feel like i'm going to be let down in that regard because i want to know why time is repeating itself is time broken is that a feature of it and it raised a lot of expectations for me that i don't think they're going to be able to to fill in the series i guess you could write um hordes of books and whatever about the whole concept but you know the premise of the wheel of time the whole I mean, it's basically reincarnation, isn't it? And yin and yang stuff. My issue with it, and this is going to sound a bit geeky, is the whole idea of technology and magic coexisting, which just, I don't know, I just, I have a, a personal problem with it. I don't know, it's just a bit icky. I just want it either to be stainless steel or horses. I don't <laughs> like it when, when the two meet. So, so you, you don't like mechanical devices powered by magic? Well, that was that was another odd thing, wasn't it? Because did you say, Ray, that it's not really technology; it's actually magic? It, it, I, I see. This is my problem now: is that I can now lo no longer be here as somebody who's read the books, because clearly Rafe is going in such a wildly different direction that I can't assume that what I'm seeing in his presentation of the story is what I have seen or read in in my in the books. So my understanding's always been. That the problem with the dark one, the reason why everything's going to hell in a handbasket is because the dark one is, even in his prison, is affecting the development of humanity and affecting the world around him in, in, in different ways. And one of those ways is the, the reluctance to move forward in understanding, uh, the reluctance to improve on situations like discovering steam power and therefore 
internal combustion engines and so on and so forth. Isn't that just a that massive cop all... out though? You're basically, well, you're basically saying, oh, I need a reason why I'm going to make the world like this. So I'm just going to say the dark one has done it. There's no but That's exactly what there, Matthew was saying, is that it was very much a tropey trope trope. It's very, you know, uh, the, the reason why over these thousands of years uh, that they're, they're still very much stuck in weak Isodai and uh, very monarchistic uh, ruling uh, sort of governments and things like that. But that's the way it's presented to you as a reader. Okay, so let's talk about the Dark One, the incarnation of pure evil who ran fights. That's fighting is a bit strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does what does Rand actually do in his confrontation with the Dark One? I have a rant about this actually. <laughs> this is what for me kind of grew between the first and the second um, viewing of this is. I, I always thought that, so what I've learned in my own writing is a character should have wants and needs and those things could, should conflict. And we don't know crap about Rand. And he is not very wet, fleshed out. We know that he wants to live with his wife and have some kids. And that's a wholly achievable thing for him. There's nothing standing in the way of him doing it except for this big bad that we've never really met and don't know anything about it so that's the only thing he's tempted with because it's the only thing we know about ran and it's like oh you could just go do that right now like you could totally just go and live that life and so there's no there was no nothing compelling about it and i still don't know exactly what he did i know he got that little trinket from moraine and used it against the uh, the dark one and then that was it and it was very underwhelming and i i get that they don't want to just have the the harry potter my 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 blue beam is stronger than your blue beam so you remember the wizard chest at the end of i can't remember which one it is is it goblet of fire i don't know I'm, first one yeah I'm not an expert on harry potter Sorcerer's um, stone it was well formed and stakes were there there was a task to accomplish I felt that all that was missing, all that Rand really seemed to do was to decide he wanted to be a good guy and hold on to a gem. We're not really aware of what the alternative is. So if Rand says, actually, I am going to make this reality, what would happen? So why wouldn't he therefore just create his own music festival with all his favourite bands? That's what I would do. (laughs) Well, because the Dark One's (laughs) suggesting it and therefore it can't be a good thing to do. All the things you could do, yeah. you know, if you could actually invent reality. Why not just invent reality without a dark one? Problem solved. Problem solved. End of the book. Boom. Done. <laughs> the dark one didn't think of that, did he? What a mug. No. Was that like you could have three wishes? Well, I wish for a million wishes type thing. Yeah. <laughs> I have broken um, the game's economy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I absolutely adored uh, the dark one. I don't know the actor's name. I thought yeah, no, I thought uh, he was one of the standout actors actually. In outstanding, yeah. yeah. Like the screen snapped for me when the sword hit Moraine in the back of the neck, and your man is stood behind them, and he's just classy. He's clear. He's not a big bad in, you know, he's not a mouth of Sauron. He's not uh, a murderal murderal. He's a fella which who's got uh what's what's the word I'm looking for? He's got a silver tongue, he's Loki, you know? Yeah, so, he's an a- Agent Smith. He's that kind of bad <laughs> yeah, guy, isn't he? He's... 
So I'm looking forward to seeing him. And to be honest with you, if that's the caliber we're getting for the dark one, I think the Forsaken, once they come onto screen and become characters, are probably going to be show stealers as well. So, yeah, I also want to say he was the best thing about it. I loved that he was not some over-the-top, like, crazy villain. He was very natural in his approach and did and and was really intriguing um and i i looked him up because i'm like he looks familiar he was on one, one of the epi- one of the seasons of westworld and i think his name is pronounced perez oh, perez um he's a oh, great actor and he was he made that whole episode work okay one one more related question which is do we actually know what the eye of the world is is it just like a disused walmart or a car park or <laughs> What actually is the eye of the world that makes it significant? I'm not too sure why it's called the eye of the world, but uh, canically it is a untouched source of Psy Dean, the male half, I believe. There's people screaming now, but it's it's a well of power. And in the book, it's. I think what they're trying to do is show that by giving him the angry eye, the little carving. Um, to pull from the well of power. So it's, you're basically it's, saying it's a jumbled mess. Is it just like a metaphysical thing? It's not. It doesn't matter what the place is or where it's been in the past. There's no reason why he's being locked there in particular. It's just an he's entity. not locked there. The dark one isn't there. The eye of the world is a source of power that. This is this is the thing, you know. Is it is he locked in there? I'm sure they said he was imprisoned in the eye of the world. <laughs> he's he's um he's imprisoned somewhere else. And again, Shale Ghoul. He's imprisoned in Shale Ghoul. The eye of the world is just this well of power that the ancient Aes Sedai is basically dumped into. Um, they just pooled everything in there and it killed all of them. Um, in this in the same way as we saw Nynaeve and Co. In the same way, they just pulled all of the power through them into this, uh, into this area. And in the books, it has a very distinct meaning, a very different feeling. It's I, this is this is why I'm yeah. confused okay. about I'm what Rafe the wiser. is doing. You know? It just sounds like a concept that hasn't been fleshed out. Speaking of concepts that weren't fleshed out, Lan finding Moraine. Oh yeah, that struck me too. There was this whole thing about. Here's the map marker you have to bring up on your heads-up display. But we're not actually told how on earth... Moraine GPS. Um, how did Nynaeve locate her? I really would like to have known. Yeah, so let's move on to Padan Fane and the Horn of Valair. Um, them finding the horn under the throne or whatever it was. And then we've got Perrin and, and Loyal. Again, in the second watching watch through, I was more critical of this, and I was thinking they have just criminally underused that actor and that character. Like, I'm a huge Joss Whedon fan, and what Joss almost always does in his series is he has a reoccurring villain in the first season who then either is revealed to be working for someone else or is killed by the second season big bad at the beginning or the end of the season as a way of raising the stakes and they easily could have done that with bad and fame and i get that like the book readers would have known but for me as a non-book reader it could have been very effective and he could have been utilized so much better why was perrin even in the season he didn't do anything. He didn't contribute to the plot. So, king of place, 
told these guys who look like a bunch of troublemaking friends of four uh, who happily be on the mead 99% of the time, they, you know what you've got to do. So we assume the job they know they've got to do is go and get the horn, which is conveniently hidden under the throne, which I'm sure is in so many fantasy books that something is under the throne. The Horn of Valir, that's the way I in my head have said it. I'm not too sure if that's actually how it's pronounced. Um, Valerie. That's well, not how I pronounce Valerie, it. Horn so of, it can't be right. Horn of Valerie. <laughs> uh, Valerie's horn. Uh, exactly that. So it's, it's, it's a MacGuffin. It's at the end of the first book. It's one of three things that they all they, the three boys achieve. Um, it's meant to be at the eye of the world because it's, it's one of these legends. Everyone goes for the hunt for the horn. It's like the Holy Grail. People go off to try and find the Holy Grail. They try and find the horn. Um, it's meant to be sounded at the last battle, which I think is what everyone thought this was. Uh, actually, I think Moraine says this isn't the last battle at the end. Um, so it's that they think this is the end. This is it. We're, the culmination of their adventure is coming to this point. And the Horn of Valir is meant to be part of that. And when it when it happened to be buried, I was already expecting something like that because we only got random Moraine to the eye of the world. So I knew that all of these other things that were meant to happen there weren't going to happen because the characters weren't there. Having the Horn of the Valir hidden away in Faldara actually makes sense, was a good change because Faldara is like the last bastion. It's there, it's at the very front of everything. No one's going to accidentally turn up and find the horn. Do you need Ta-da, to say. be... Sorry, let me just interrupt you impolitely. Do. But do you, <laughs> so this horn, how loud is it? And where do you need to be when you blow it? <laughs> this is very important <laughs> to me, Ray. Don't let me down. <laughs> because, because that um, goes to what no, you were saying but... about it's a good idea to put it in... Faldara, because if in theory it doesn't matter where you are when you blow it, it could be anywhere. In fact, in a much safer location, away from the front. You know, I mean, if it's like some kind of no, 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 you always keep your most valuable objects right on the front line, where they can most easily be stolen by the enemy. (laughs) (laughs) And it only takes three of them to do it. (laughs) When you blow the horn, you summon the hero heroes of old. So if somebody who's on the Dark One side does it, then these heroes of old fight for the Dark One. And if someone on the good side does it, the heroes fight for the good. So let's take, for example, this battle we had here at the at Helm's Deep, the Talman's uh, mm, Gap. Um, if one of the Murdral or a Trolloc or a Forsaken blew the horn, then these... Uh, the heroes of the old or the or the old age would come and fight on their side and completely wipe out what we e- perceive as the good guys. So even so, it doesn't summon your side's heroes. It summons all no. of the heroes and just makes them shift yeah. sides. Oh, okay, exactly. Yeah. So the fact that they kept it in Faldara makes sense. Keep it, you know, keep it secret, keep it safe, just in case it gets into the wrong hands. The fact that Padan Thane steals it is, again, a plot point because the, the ne- whole next book is, is about them chasing Padan Thane. Uh, so that's going to be Cause, interesting. Because Padan Thane's um, got the horn. Padan Thane's got the horn. <laughs> you couldn't help yourself, could you, Sean? <laughs> to get it in, sorry. 
Yeah. That's what Pat and Fane say. They said. Okay, so let's all have a little look back over season one and what our hopes for season two are. The whole connection with the book and, and the TV series has kind of been lost on me a bit. I liked it um, and I'm looking forward to season two to see where it goes. Someone else go. I think you're probably all expecting me to turn around and say it was bloody awful and I hated every moment of it. But actually, I didn't with some really good bits that we all we all sort of spot and go, oh, now if, it, if this, this worked, you know, if they go down this route, it's going to be great. But they didn't, and it pulled off in a different direction, and then it went another direction. And there's too many threads to the story. They could have just cut some of this out and made a – but they haven't. And I'll watch season two only so I can get to chat to you guys again. My hope for season two is it's a little better edited. They, they're, I, I feel like that's what they kind of – they had too much in eight episodes and the story, I think definitely, uh, definitely kind of faltered from that. I I'd like them to, 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 to be some better setup because there's so many moments where at the end of this season, that little coda where a group of people come out of nowhere and use a tidal wave to kill a six year old girl that make no sense to me. I, they clearly wanted that little girl dead. I'd really like to know why was this girl so important that they sent a bunch of ships and made a tidal wave to kill her. That kind of goes to the whole thing of a bit of a lack of um, nuance. But also it's just, it's storytelling. They don't, I don't like when they introduced the false dragon. I really feel like that was supposed to be an aha moment for the, for me as a viewer. And I'm like, huh, there's, there's a Latino dude in a cage. Can't say I agree with that on some level. I wish they would just do better with setup and editing and 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 focus on making a coherent story for the people who haven't read the books. I think the beach scene is very similar to the Isodai's rings in that we did all this stuff with the Isodai rings and we had this chat where we said they're just rings. And I think this is, is this is another example of that. Is that girl significant? Ray, is she significant? Did they need to kill that girl? I haven't got a bloody clue what the girl's got to do with any of it. Exactly, you see? It's just like the rings. Bloody knew it. See, you don't need to do any sort of tidal wave, lightning from the sky. I think you could have set that cliffhanger a, a lot better with establishing what the next season's story is going to be. As a whole show, I think what Rafe probably should have got done is gone the way of the BBC Sherlock series where you're not telling the story exactly. What they did with the BBC Sherlock was they set it in the world that Sherlock would have been in, which was London. They made it modern and they had the call outs. They had the deerstalker hat, but it wasn't the hat he wore. It was a hat he grabbed to hide himself from the press. What I think they should have done with Wheel of Time is made a fantasy show called The Wheel of Time and introduced concepts like the Aes Sedai. However, we should have seen them more maybe as Easter eggs. They tried too hard to throw in the ways. They tried too hard to bring in Shadow Logoth and then didn't do it well enough. So I think he should start diluting it down a little bit focus on what the story is going to be what is his beginning middle and end for the next season with hopefully more episodes and then just easter egg for the um the readers have we got a standout scene shadar lagoth for me 
Really? Yeah, it. I would. I want to see more Shadow Logos. I love that. It's got to be um, the dark one right at the end. That dark one scene. That, that you know, just interacting with that character, seeing him on screen, and actually this character that's been spoken of, that has been backstage for most of the series, to see him actually come out on screen and stand up to all of the doom and gloom that people kind of are weighing on him as characters, you know, oh, don't talk about the dark one, oh, the dark one is this. And then he's there and he is this. That for me is, was, is a key moment in the show, I think. I still, I said at the time, and it's, it's still true now, I really liked episode four and the juxtaposition they had between the wave of the leaf and then the, um, the, uh, warder who goes and and tries to to kill the dragon reborn and just that was really smart i didn't i don't see that a lot where they made a statement about violence and did it very kind of subtly within the show and that's that's my favorite scene and it i i think it it's it's one of the better moments in 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 fantasy and then that that fight scene at the beginning of was it seven was just really good i could i could watch that again yeah that's good Okay, well, that's all we've got time for this week on The Wheel of Time After Time. And in fact, for this season, do feel free to email the show at aftertimepodcast at gmail.com. And hopefully we'll see you for season two of The Wheel of Time After Time.